Well, hello, hello, and welcome back to uh, the iHealth channel, iHealth Radio, new day, new show. Uh, this is the monthly uh, rendezvous we have with the one and the only Dr. Heim. This is Climb to Your Prime with Dr. Heim. Time for mental health, and uh, we always need some of that good work, and Dr. Heim does bring us a lot of insights and value and really some good advice to to keep us motivated, keep us going in the right direction. So uh doctor welcome to the show how are you thank you very much hurricane it's great to be back here wonderful we're heading into summer down here in sydney australia and <laughs> i know you guys are heading into winter but you know that's the variety that the world gives us uh, listen it's all good man <laughs> it is it is i i you know uh it's not so bad i mean it's a little you know chilly here and there we haven't gotten into the deep cold but but yeah listen it is what it is we always have this thing yours your your seasons versus ours and uh, it's okay so we we're talking about two things we're doing good things here so so doctor um you know first things first i mean uh we skipped a month and i know uh there were some uh we had a great show the, the one before that and there was a comment on the last you know uh time we had the discussion we talked about you know how to let it go with things that you cannot control and actually yeah. somebody put a comment that we just were not able to see them on the screen so i'm going to just read the comment just to be able to respond to them and then then we'll go into the questions we have sure. so the comment was uh you're absolutely right of letting go of what we can't control but trauma episodes how do you overcome these so that that was the comment that was and i guess it's a question as well yeah okay so trauma is one of the most difficult things to overcome and uh hurricane i have spent decades working with people who have experienced severe trauma and uh the answer is is not that straightforward and simple because the more severe your trauma the harder it is going to be and the more difficult it is to let go uh, and a lot of factors uh, go into that. But basically, the idea is to separate here and now from there and then. Because whenever the trauma happened, it was there and then. It was at another time. And each new day brings a new life. And in a real sense, Hurricane, um, the past isn't with us anymore. You can't show me even yesterday. What we have is the effects of the past. And the most that we can do is you may hear people say you can't change the past. But as I tell people that I work with, you can change the meaning of the past. So if the past was hurtful, if you are now somebody who is working to overcome that hurt, that's a much more meaningful present than if you are defined by what happened in the past. And there's a whole lot in that hurricane, and I don't know how long you want to spend on it, but um, thank you for that comment, because it does boil down to what you can control and what you can't control, and to focus on the things that you can control. Doctor, we always have the time for you, so <laughs> we'll make the time. <laughs> so, so you know, if there is more, you know, great. By the way, we have Raquel uh, Lofton here. She's actually... Uh, just says good to see you fellow Aussie so uh she's uh, she's with us that's <laughs> I great. guess almost that's, right. good. <laughs> that's good <laughs> so just greetings to Raquel there um uh well yeah so uh again uh I guess that was the the response to the comment um yeah and now now we begin our uh, series of questions uh that we have for this time and so I kind of sort them up a little bit with the more relevance uh to date 
So the first one I have is, uh, with the World Cup event happening in Qatar, we notice a great sense of joy, pride, and celebration. Yes. What are the, the psychological reasons behind all of it? And in general, how does festivities trigger emotions? Hector. Okay, thank you, Hector. So, so what's the last part? How does what uh, trigger emotions? Uh, how does festivities trigger emotions? Okay, okay. That's a really good question, uh, Hector, and it's actually bringing up something that's actually very exciting, and that is that we are all actually happy to be part of the human race. Now, uh, you may notice that people tend to like their family best, and each family has its own traditions and its own way of doing things. And then people like their own city best. That city has a way of doing things. You feel comfortable with that. And then people like their country best. Uh, this is not objective. We all feel comfortable simply because we're part of something. And so the World Cup soccer gives us a chance to celebrate what we're a part of. The USA is part of the World Cup. They're in there. I heard they had a draw with uh, England. No goals were scored. Uh, Australia's in there. And I believe they've got a match against Tunisia. And the thing is, you get to barrack for who you identify with. But the thing is that on the grand scale, to play games like this, it feels good just to be able to play friendly games. So for the whole world to play a friendly game like this feels absolutely wonderful. And yes, it does feel better to win than to lose, but it feels really good to be playing the game and to be enjoying part of it. So Hector, the way that festivities turn into emotions is firstly through brain chemicals. So dopamine is the brain chemical of pleasure and festivity brings a lot of pleasure. Beta endorphins is that brain chemical that we share when we're barracking with somebody on the same team. So when you're barracking for the USA or when you're barracking for Australia, you share a feeling of oneness with everybody who's barracking. And so that translates into this emotion Oh, it's hard to find the word for it, but of belonging, that I belong with people and it's fun to belong. And the other brain chemicals are, of course, serotonin and oxytocin, which are part of it as well. But to answer Hector's question, it's dopamine pleasure and beta endorphin sense of belonging so we can barrack for a team and win or lose. It feels good to belong. It really does, Hurricane. It does. And, 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 you know, it's amazing because um, it's, it's funny because I was literally watching the, the replay of the game today <laughs> just before yeah, the yeah. show. So yeah, yeah. for the U.S. team and they, they tied, they played. Both, both teams did well and they played and, you know, it is what it is. But, but you know, uh, talk about the World Cup, right? I mean, at the end of the day, you got all these teams that are, there's so much preparation. There's years of yeah. preparation. There's yeah. so much work that goes into it and then qualifications, all that. And I, we all know that it's only one team that's going to win the cup. Yeah, and there's yeah. always a second one that's going to, but everybody gives it their best and stuff. And it's, you know, people yes. from all over the world gather together and it's uh, it's a lot of, uh, you know, friendship and, and, and just fun stuff that, that takes place. Yes. Uh, but, you know, uh, even if you've, I don't know if you watched the, the, uh, the opening ceremony and, and uh, with Morgan yes. Freeman and the message that was there, uh, you know, it was a powerful uh, message for humanity, I would say. I mean, uh, you know, and, and sometimes these events do bring us back to where we think that we could literally have an, an opportunity to coexist and live and, and have a good time together and not having issues. So, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so if we take something like the Eurovision Song Contest that yes. was specifically put together so that Europe could sort of say, you know what, instead of going to war about our differences, why don't we just sing our differences and see who's the best? 
And I want to talk about the World Cup for a little bit. And I want to talk about the USA because decades ago, we're only talking about <laughs> three, <laughs> three decades ago when the USA wouldn't make the World Cup, right? And now look at them. They are playing a draw with one of the most soccer frenzied nations of the world, England, okay? That's extraordinary. And this is the other thing is when we all get better, we know that only one person's going to win or one country's going to win, but the expertise and sharing in part of the glory actually filters down to everybody. So the USA wasn't part of the glory of soccer decades ago. Now they are. And for every person who's ever kicked a soccer ball in a small way, we are all part of the excellence that we are seeing on television then, which means that you can own part of that. There are some unbelievable soccer players out there and they're driven forward by absolutely everybody who kicks a soccer ball. So we're all part of it, Hurricane. And that's another way that the festivities make us all feel really, really good. Well, thank you, Doc. And, and I'm sorry, you know, it's funny because I, I put the comment, <laughs> Jason's comment waiting for the, uh, the Australia-Tunisia game. So, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, go for it. I mean, hey, listen, we root for, I mean, we have to root for someone, right? So why That's not, right? right? That's right. That's <laughs> I, you right. know, it's funny because you watch the games and everybody gets excited about their team. And, you know, like uh, like in my case, I have two teams playing literally. I have Morocco, which is my native, you know, land, and we have the U.S. So I'm watching both teams, and let's see who's gonna win. And then, then of course, I have the other piece. Whenever another team plays, you have to pick one that you're gonna like yeah. really go for, and uh, it's it's amazing. Like you, there's always a good, you know. But I have a rule. Technically, I look at whoever does the best in the game. So <laughs> I try to keep yes. it as that, you know, because there's no reason to, you know. I mean, if you play, you deserve to to win. Sometimes you play and you still don't win, but but that's the concept. So. Oh, no, that's exactly, that's exactly right. And so uh, the one of the things is the, seeing the joy of people do well and doing well in soccer is absolutely extraordinary. But uh, Caroline and I were at a party once where everybody was Mexican and it just happened to be the night of the World Cup. So who did we go for? We went for Mexico, right? Okay. <laughs> and we felt a part of it. And so you feel embraced by the, the people around you and to share that joy it really is beta endorphins, which is the brain chemical that gets released whenever we laugh with people, cry with people, make music with people. Even when we go to funerals with people or dance with people, that idea of sharing as human beings is mediated by chemicals in the brain. And it's very good for us. It's very cathartic, but it also bonds us together. It's much better than some of the other things that we could be doing to each other, Hurricane. Much, much better. Well, well, definitely. I mean, we've talked, yeah. you know, most most recently about the war and stuff, and this is actually yeah, yeah. an event that almost kind of, you know, upside down. You know, the whole concept here. When you look at it, it's just a whole different concept, right? And it's happier. Yes. But that yes. that leads to the next question. Well, not a comment. That's just for me. And you know, it seems that it would be a good thing for all of us to get to just have more festivities <laughs> because I think, you know, we will tend to actually be happier and, and live better, you know, across the board. Uh, yes. And, you know, maybe that's what we should be doing a little bit of, you know, more of that and getting together. And maybe that's going to change a little bit how things happen this, in this world. So, okay, just... there's, there's actually a very interesting um, relationship between working and festivities. If, if we humans were to have festivities all the time, we would actually get bored with that which sounds really bizarre but in a way even watching the world cup feels better after you've done a a week of work and you say i'm going to sit back and i'm going to enjoy the world cup right now i know we're watching professionals who do it for a living 
But for the rest of us, there's this balance between contributing and then having some entertainment as a reward. And if you can line up your pleasure and your purpose, so in other words, your work and your reward, then you've actually got a winning combination for your brain. That way your brain is learning and it's enjoying itself at the same time. So that's a kind of a balance that we've got to keep as well, Hurricane. Well, no, but that's, I, I thank you. I appreciate the answer because to your point, I mean, this is like, you know, I always, personally, I look at sun and, and, and rain, right? Gloomy yep. day and happy day. You can't have, yeah. you can't always be in the same, you know, because you get bored and it, it doesn't make sense anymore. But like we talked about your summer versus ours. Yeah. You know, <laughs> we look forward to those changes to actually keep us going. So it makes sense. Uh, and, uh, but, I, you know, I just, uh, Jason actually just said it, it never seemed like the U.S. cared this much about football until now. Right. Well, <laughs> well, I have to say, I mean, it, it's not, it hasn't been the biggest thing. I mean, I think uh, our uh, you know women team has has been a lot more ahead, you know, in terms of uh, the the football soccer as we call it yeah. here. Uh, yeah. But but uh, yes, but the US team's been actually literally in a, in a few you know of the last cups, and they've been coming up you know to rising up to the occasion, and they doing their piece. So I, we can say it. And but yes, I mean it's not the best, you know, as far as the the different games and, and and types of activity sports that they you know that are that I do. just like again i guess in australia rugby and is the biggest thing right i'm, I'm am i yeah. am i right yeah yeah you're right, here is, you're right. Here, here's american football is is the key yeah. baseball you know so we got different things but they're doing it so that's uh there's nothing wrong with that but they you know what it is they put the energy and they put the work and uh everyone actually that made it to to the the cup has literally uh, work their their butt off to get there and, and they're there so they're making it they're making the best out of it that's all oh yeah and, and so did the countries that didn't make it to the world cup right and they'll be working so that they make it in the next four years you know sorry doctor i didn't want to disturb you, you but but the question to you is if the world cup was every I, I, you can read it i'm assuming right you can see it yeah 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 if the world cup was every year would it be less enjoyable and that's that's actually very hard to say because in a sense it is because let's say you've got the super bowl every year or you've got the the soccer cup final in the usa every year and to organize that in the whole world it takes a bit longer and so there's a bit more anticipation and there's a bit more preparation that needs to be done. So in a sense, to wait four years makes it all that much sweeter. And so can I say that it's less enjoyable? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It'll be less enjoyable, you know. But when you have the build-up and when you go to that level of excellence that you have to wait four years for, just like the Olympic Games, it makes it that much more significant and that much more enjoyable. There you go. <laughs> All right, thank you, doctor. So, so I, um, I think we're good with the soccer piece, unless our, <laughs> you know, our, our guests have any, you know, questions, and but they can come up. Uh, thanks, doc. <laughs> That's all, all right. right. I love it. Now we are interactive, so I love it. By the way, this show is live, and you guys can, you know, write your comments on the chat box here, or you can actually also dial the number, and uh, you can chat with the doctor on the on the calls. The number is on the screen right now, 732-332-8493. Uh, so, yeah, please. Uh, so my next question, this is actually related to the holiday season, and as yeah. you know, we just begun our, you know, I guess marathon. <laughs> you know, it started for us in the U.S. We started with the Thanksgiving, and yep. uh, today was Black Friday. And I'm not sure even yes. Black Friday is all over the world. I think it's already now 
a world phenomenon here, but um, but so so this is about a shopping question. <laughs> so, shopping question. Okay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> my name is Samantha. My biggest problem is shopping. I'm a shopaholic. I go crazy and buy a lot of stuff, whether I need things or not. Uh, then when I get home, I get stressed and question if that was all necessary. Then I really yeah. get upset. Now that we are on the holiday season, I have anxiety. What is my diagnosis and how can I control this urge? Okay. Okay. So that's right. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm laughing. It was just, it's, no, 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 no. I, I think okay. I have some of that too, but <laughs> yeah, well, well it, we, we all have some of that. Okay. And all of us that are connected to the internet are all battling this same sort of thing. And it actually relates back to something that we had in the soccer discussion. And that is to connect pleasure with purpose. All right. And the thing is that uh, the brain loves pleasure and we all do. But if we have excessive pleasure, it actually leads to pain. And the, the example of this is actually the people who end up being addicted to uh, recreational drugs. Got to remember, they went for pleasure first. What they wanted was pleasure. They didn't want an addiction. But what happens is dopamine gets so driven in the brain uh, that uh, the brain sort of uh, changes its response to dopamine so that an addiction results. So somebody who wants to go out shopping and have a good time, I know it sounds silly, but just like the World Cup, you've got to plan your strategies to get the ball into the back of the net on the other side. If before you go shopping, you plan how much you want to spend and how much time you're going to allow yourself, you will actually feel good. You'll get that optimum pleasure when you stay within your own boundaries, okay? So you give yourself the pleasure, but you stay within that pleasure boundary because more is not better. It's, it's just like ice cream hurricane. You know, we may like one ice cream, we may like two, but if you're having 10 or 12 ice creams at a time, you'll be spending the rest of the time close to a toilet so you can throw it all up again, right? The pleasure <laughs> value goes down really steeply. So if you plan to have two or three ice creams, you make sure you stick to your two or three ice creams and really enjoy them rather than going overboard. So to somebody like Sam who uh, gets angry with herself afterwards, the idea is to plan your shopping excursions, which is not fun, and I agree it's not fun, but you will have more fun on the day. But, Doctor, it is. So, I mean, being a shopaholic is an addiction. I mean, Oh, it is not, an addiction. It most definitely is. So, yes. so it's really, you, you got you to gotta control it. I mean, and now, is there, like, literally, is there anything that, from, from a psychiatry, uh, like a treatment or something for some people that may just be experiencing the same thing. Cause I mean, you could, you could lose money. You can, you know, sometimes it's distressful yes. and, and it can affect your finances and everything. Oh yeah. Uh, just like buying drugs. Right. And, uh, exactly you know, like buying drugs. and so, so, I mean, do you see like any, any of that in the practice? I mean, like people that really see, cause with, we know that people seek help when they have alcoholism, you know, they have, you know, drug you know, addiction and maybe some yes. other things. But is there such a thing as clients who might be actually, you know, really uh, shopaholic? That oh, actually... most definitely, most definitely, you know, be, uh, because uh, the only thing about something like uh, social media addiction or shopping addiction is that it's um, it's accepted in society, and uh, and we joke about it. You and I have been joking that we've all got a bit of that because that's true. But in the brain, it actually works the same as a cocaine addiction and amphetamine addiction or an alcohol addiction, right? And it's just that somebody who has an amphetamine addiction who can't live because of that addiction will do something about it. 
And the thing about a shopping addiction is we can still get by on life and think, oh, this is normal. I've just got to sort of stop all of this, right? So the key to any addiction is firstly, find something more worthwhile than the addiction. Okay, so if you find something in life that's really worthwhile, you keep on track with that and you make sure that your addiction does not get in the way of anything that you find worthwhile. So things that are worthwhile are things like the people around you, right? Uh, having purpose in your career, uh, having love with the people around you or finding meaning in your life. And so you don't want shopping or any other addiction to get in the way of that. And then there's actually a technique, and this is where the hard work comes in. You've got to delay gratification, okay? Now, what that means is you've got to put off feeling good now so that you feel good tomorrow. So uh, in shopping, you've got to ask yourself, how will I feel about what I'm doing today in a week? Will I regret it? Will I wish I had more money? Will I get angry with myself? And then you say to yourself, okay, so how much can I spend, what am I going to buy, how much time am I going to put into this so that I feel good tonight, but I also feel good next week. Because if you're the sort of person who wants to optimize pleasure in your life, then you've got to optimize pleasure for next week as well. So you want to feel good about yourself next week as well as tonight. And so that becomes a technique that you can use for absolutely any addiction. If you are inclined to drink a bit too much, you sort of say, okay, what's, how much can I drink tonight and make sure that I feel good tomorrow, okay? Uh, same with smoking, any other addiction, gambling, sex, anything. What will make me feel good tonight but still feel good about myself next week? That way, if you have purpose in your life and pleasure and you can link the two, then as we said in the soccer, you've got a winning combination for your brain. You're on your track for your purpose, but you've got your pleasure too. And that feels great. Thank you, Doc. Actually, I have a couple of, uh, you know, I'm looking at the screen just to to, to catch up with the, all the chat. And uh, yeah. so there is, there's some, uh, hold on, Jason, I think. Uh, yeah, he, this is where he talked about gambling since you were talking about that. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, also there is a, well, Raquel said, thank you. <laughs> okay. You're welcome, Raquel. You're welcome. <laughs> and then I have a question. Um, I'm not sure what the Alba administration, but you know, you, this is probably a local thing, but you know, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Okay. So that's, that's talking about our, uh, our government. Uh, so the question is, is, um, Anthony Albanese doing anything for mental health and addictions in Australia? And the other comment from Jason was that uh, gambling is uh, one of the worst addictions and there's a lot of denial around it. And uh, but uh, that's that's actually quite true. So I'll, I'll talk about the gambling first and then I'll talk about what we can do on a government level for mental health and addictions. Uh, now, the thing about gambling is uh, you tend to deplete yourself not only of finances but also of friends and family and the thing is that gambling works just the same as an amphetamine addiction you end up with pleasure in the brain the brain likes it and it wants to keep going and there's this idea that more must be better and so the difficulty is finding a purpose finding something that you love more than your gambling and uh, the people around you are always good because if you love your mum more than the gambling, or if you love your partner more than the gambling, then you will start to bring that under control, not for yourself, but for them. 
and that actually becomes more of an incentive for us. Sometimes we won't do enough for ourselves, but we'll do it for another person. And so, again, it's linking the pleasure and the purpose. And uh, again, it's delaying gratification, saying, I will feel better about myself if I don't do this. And uh, a lot of people say, well, you can cut down gradually, and that may be true. But for some people, you've actually got to stop. Okay. And I'm going to start going into crazy territory here, Hurricane. I'm going to say something bizarre. But for some people, what can help with their addictions is to imagine that gambling doesn't exist anymore. So let's say you go onto the internet and there's a site where you play poker. Mm -hmm. To actually say to yourself, even knowing that this is not true, that that site does not exist anymore. Don't bother trying. While you say that to yourself, your brain will actually believe it. And you can actually get to the stage where you will go, I can't go to that site because it doesn't exist. Even though you know that it does still exist. And is this a game? Yes, it is. This is a mind game. But the idea is to get rid of the gambling. Okay. So now if I turn to the question about whether governments are doing anything for mental health and addictions, oh, it's very difficult to be in uh, government because you've got to please so many different people. And particularly an addiction like gambling, yeah, it keeps a lot of money flowing in a direction that a lot of people like. So straight away there, a government can be, and I'm not saying that any particular government is, but they can be in a compromised position because the way we paid for our opera house here in Sydney was through a lottery, which is kind of controlled gambling. So the way we raised our money for that was through gambling, and we're happy to have an opera house now. So the government has to make these really difficult decisions. One of the most difficult decisions is around mental health in general, right? And look, I have to advocate for mental health because the truth is that governments around the world do not invest as much in mental health as they could. And one of the reasons has to do with the stigma that mental health used to have, that it was only those people that had mental health. And Hurricane, we now live, in a, live at a time that that's just not true anymore. The projection is that half the world's population will qualify for a mental health diagnosis. So we have to do something to get on top about it, uh, on top of it. And Hurricane, for me in particular, uh, I have a heart for young people, and it's young people that are suffering from mental health uh, issues, gambling addictions, and all other addictions. And these things need to be understood so we can literally save the lives of our younger generation. Uh, which is why I do what I do and what you, why you do what you do, because we're into preventative mental health. We want to try to stop the people getting into addictions before they occur. Well, doctor, that's, that's quite a bit. I love, thank you guys for, for the comments and the questions, yes, because those are you. like really powerful ones. But, but, you know, just listen to your doctor, uh, two things you mentioned. One is, uh, you know, related to the question of gambling and the government. I mean, uh, I can't speak for Australia, but I can tell you like just local in the States, for example, I mean, gambling is a big you know, thing, right? I mean, yes. we have we have cities that are literally revolving around just gambling. I mean, we yes. have Las Vegas, everybody knows that, Atlantic City and the East Coast. And there's plenty more. I mean, even now you have to you talk about online gambling. It is big. 
it is regulated. There is there is even police, state police is involved. In there. There's yes. so much stuff going on. And uh, it, it is, you know, there's there's hotlines for addiction. Even when you go there, if you have a problem with addiction, then you should call. So they have some, it is like available to you, but like it's here, but there's some control measure. Sa- similarly, if you think about it, it's the same thing as, you know, I would say alcohol, right? You can buy alcohol everywhere. Right. Bars are open stuff, but there is rules and laws and stuff. And if you get, you know, messed up about it, you know, you'll pay the price. So there is that challenge, you know, between like the balance to make money and generate revenue and also kind of keep everybody in check. Yes. And it, it is not always easy because that balance itself is difficult because everybody's in, you know, different. To your point, uh, maybe the new generation may be different, you know, in terms of how they, I guess, they approach these things. And whether it's the gambling, again, gambling is motivation, right? I mean, you're like, oh, I want to make more money. I mean, (laughs) you know, we just had like one of those mega million thingies, you know, where people, you know, can, can, you know, bet and just hopefully get a, you know, a lot of money. And, you know, everybody wants to be in it. Sometimes it's a joke. I mean, we get Super Bowl, people get into it, right? You know, there's so many things. I mean, I'm sure the sucker now there's, there's betting going on everywhere, whether legal or not, I'm not going to go into that route, but, (laughs) you know, but there's, there's always some stuff going on, but, you know, so there's, to your point, it is hard. And uh, in terms of, you know, the statistic you mentioned, which like literally half of the population can have such a diagnosis. I mean, that is that is powerful. I mean, it's it's, it's almost yeah. mind boggling. I mean, just hearing yeah. you say that, I mean, I guess I qualify too. So. <laughs> okay, okay. So, so, well, we all do hurricane. That's that's the whole thing. So we can actually look at some studies because when the United States went through its prohibition era, where mm. it banned all alcohol, that was a huge experiment. It was a huge study, and from that we now know that putting in a total ban. It just doesn't work. It makes things worse. So you go to harm minimization. You go to asking people to be responsible for themselves. Now, the thing is, the competing thing is keeping money flowing. Uh, It's actually good to keep money flowing because the more prosperity we have, the more we can drag people out of poverty, right? But how far do you go to keep money flowing when it can become a danger to people? And this is where... I can look at a study that was done uh, in California, UCLA. They, they do a study where they ask freshmen a whole lot of questions. Uh, so in the first year and in the 1970s, 80% of people said that they wanted a meaningful life and only 40% said that being financially independent was important to them. So we fast forward to 2011 And it's almost exactly the opposite. 76% of people say that getting money is really important to them. And 40% of people say that having meaning is more important to them. So what I'm talking about there is a switch in values. And because we are valuing money so highly in our society, money is good for the economy, but if you value it as a really high value for yourself, that leads to the area where you think you can make quick money here, where gambling looks like it becomes a good idea. Whereas I, I ask people to find out what they actually value in their life. And uh, one of the hints about what we all value is we tend to value our people a whole lot more in our lives, but we take them for granted. So if we're able to keep our values in a priority and we see where gambling is, in a priority. So I'm using gambling here, but if you had to make a choice between gambling and not seeing your mum for the rest of your life, which would you choose? Okay. 
that seems like a no-brainer because we value our mother. We value our family. But I encourage people to know what at least their top 20 values are to make sure that you're reaching for your values so that life is about going for those values rather than for the pleasure on a day-to-day basis. Well, thank you, Doug. That's that's a lot. <laughs> and and I think Derek just added another piece here to the question. So he said, I'm going to put it on the screen here. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So a lot of my kids uh, at my daughter's high school vape. And how has it become so popular? Right. And that's very interesting. So uh, the scientific answer to that is bottom line, we don't know. All right. But uh, if you looked at our whole society, and this has been driven from the medical industry, over the last 50 years, there was a concerted effort to take smoking out of society. So in the 50s and the 60s, there were a lot of movies that made smoking look really cool. And through the 90s in particular, we said, this is costing us too much in health. Let's take it out. And we actually got to the stage where smoking is now far less socially acceptable. Uh, if you're a smoker, you've got to go out somewhere to smoke. Uh, also, because of passive smoking affecting other people, we've kind of taken it down a lot. However, people still wanted something. And so there was a, uh, a niche where people were able to uh, bring in a product called vaping. Uh, and initially, there was this idea that vaping was better for your health than smoking was. And... Uh, there are some studies showing that that's not true, that vaping brings its own uh, problems with it. So in a way, it filled a void there. And that's how it became popular again. And how does anything become popular? It looks cool. People think that it's cool. And if you get that sense of belonging, like we do when we're watching our team at the World Cup, that is what can be exploited commercially. But that's what makes us feel good. So the idea, bringing it back to values, is if we can get that feeling of belonging with people, belonging with friends and family, without having to go to addictions like vaping, then we would be having much more pleasure and enjoyment in the whole world. Well, thank I know, you, it sounds Doug. idealistic. You know? Not, but it is. But, but you know, it's funny because uh, uh, I love the question because this actually is something I had literally discussion about last night. Oh, okay, good. Because uh, my, my, both my kids are in high school and, uh, and uh, it, is, it is almost all their friends actually have vaping. And uh, yeah. the, the, the funny part is that I just found out yesterday that in New York and Jersey, for example, both states have actually banned the sale of vaping now. And they actually yeah. going into the, the, the shops and stuff and they're really uh, finding people who are still selling those, right? And, and the reason, again, it's not a big smoke. You can literally just, you know, sneak it into. And, and what's been happening in the school is that they don't do it in the classroom. They just go to the bathroom break and they just, you know, get a few puffs. And those things can actually have you know, anywhere between 500 to 1,000 puffs, you know, yeah. in one of those little things. And it's liquid nicotine. So actually, from the health perspective, it's not doing anything less than what the, the cigarettes no, that's are. Right. That's right. So you're just so getting it from the flavors, yeah. Yeah, and and so so it, it, I was literally shocked to hear that actually that that is being banned. I mean, I still see it. My question was like, well, I still see a lot of kids doing. That's because people are still selling it, and you know they're not supposed to. They're cracking down on them, and a lot of states are kind of getting to this. But it became almost a pandemic of its own because like everywhere you go in the youth, you know, especially the teenage and and high school students, 
that is a big, big thing now. You can see it even in movies and, and stuff. To your point, movies always a good influence or a bad influence, depends how you look at it. Yeah. And people tend to just, you know, mimic whatever they see there. If it's cool and it's exciting, I want to do exactly that. I mean, listen, we all, I would say me personally, my, my days when I was younger, there was things that I, I saw in the movies that were my influence. But yes. luckily, they were not the bad ones. I mean, I used to love skateboards. So, I, you know, I see skateboard movies. That was my thing. I mean, uh, yes. other things. I mean, I've done some sports and stuff based on the movies. You know, that was kind of yeah. like my inspiration. But some people find whatever they like, and then they go into it. But but it is, this is more serious. It's a det detriment to your health. And, and you know, I, I, you know, hearing this, this, this comment, this is a world global, you know, pandemic, literally, that no one is really talking about it. It's under, you know literally yeah. under you know cover it's not really like in the face of, of the news and the media uh yeah. and and it's it's unfortunate but it's affected on the health of our kids and you know it, you don't know that the outcome today you know yeah. is few years back you know in in the future you know what will be their lungs i mean maybe the cancer rate you know lung cancer and other things can be even more staggering we don't even know those things right yeah. so but so there's preventative there's so much pressure from parents and the schools and it's changed, at least in the States. So, again, I don't know in other parts of the world or Australia how that's going right now. But this is a big deal. Yes. So yes. so I just wanted to share that because I literally I just found out that yesterday. And I was like, really? Yeah. <laughs> it does okay. look like this stuff. So uh, so a bit of perspective on that. When you were um, riding your skateboards, right, yeah. I bet that your parents weren't always happy about that, right? They weren't. No, that's right. But the thing is that because you were a teenager and you needed to discover yourself, you needed to push boundaries. You needed to say to your parents, I'm not like you. I'm me. All right. Now, the thing is that the boundaries have gone right out that teenagers still need to do that, but they're looking to other things. And the thing is that the message, don't do that, is not going to ever be enough. All right. So um, if, let's say, uh, particularly with teenagers that are, let's say, 13 and 14. If you can put on a big party that is uh, a lot of fun and everybody wants to be there, uh, but one of the stipulations is, oh, sorry, we don't have any vaping here, you know, you just won't be allowed in, okay? You'll find that to be part of it, to be part of the fun, people will say, that's okay, I won't bring my vape along. Let's do without it. Let's have some fun without it. So often the question is, what are the teenagers in particular doing without that means that they have to vape? And one of the things that they're doing without is a sense of belonging, sense of being with a group where they are being accepted for who they are. So uh, at the moment, I would organize parties around watching certain uh, World Cup games, all right, and say, man, we're going to have a fun party here. And you make it a party, obviously, without vaping, all right? Uh, but with so much fun that people feel good about going there rather than having to do something else because they are a whole lot more fun. But there's less of that in society because unfortunately we've got studies to show that all of us have less friends than we used to have decades ago. And one of the biggest pleasures used to be just hanging out with friends. Uh, now it seems to be hanging out with friends and doing something else that is often not good for your health. Wait, so, you know that, yeah. Go ahead, Doctor. Yeah. Sorry. No, no. So, so the question is not what. How do we stop them doing something? But how do we give them what they really want? Because you know what, people really want love, family, friends, and pleasure. They really want that. 
You know, doctor, listen to you. It, it you know brought me back to years back. I yeah, you know, the at a job we used to work with community affairs in New York City, and um, you know, because we were in the health, we're in health, and so we were doing a lot of work within the community. And uh, one of the things we talked about, you know, some some of the officers was the uh, the gangs, and uh, there was also like uh, some sort of movement of gangs in in the area that yeah, we were yeah, working. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, like uh, you know, like the uh, street gangs, and yeah. uh, one of the and there were a lot of youth, you know, in those gangs, obviously. And uh, one of the things that they they all agreed on is that when they talk to their leaders or whatever, and they try to kind of approach them and all they found is that it was just, again, what you said, the sense of belonging, they wanted yeah. to be part of a family and it's like almost uh, capitalizing on that because they might not have had that in their upbringing or their roots or, or family, whatever they were raised. Right. And yeah. so that was that part, but, but it, it, again, that's an extreme example, but to your point, it could be anything. In this case, the vaping is just a cool thing. I mean, like when I asked my kids, like they, they've been approached with it themselves. I mean, yeah, they, they never admitted to, to me that they did or not. They, they said they didn't. So <laughs> I'm assuming I take their word for it. But, but the fact is I know their friends actually, they, they do it. They're not hiding. And, uh, but it is a tough one. Right. And, uh, all I do is I explain to them, you know, the ramification. If you did that, this is what's going to happen to you, right? Yeah. At the end of the day, uh, your your body is yours, and you know you're the ones who's going to have problems, you know, in your health if you do something, whatever it is. To your yeah. point, when when we talk about skateboard, uh, you know, I fell a lot. I mean, luckily I never broke a bone, but but you know, some of my friends did. It's not a cool thing, yeah. and you know, so I've seen some damage, and you know, some some of these things, you know, you you pick things, and sometimes they they do good things for you and they feel good at the time it was like the cool thing yes. i mean now for me it was different i mean it was overseas and this was like you know a fashionable thing you know in morocco is like you know uh skits so like you know like you you're one of the few that actually doing something yeah. it was more american you know type but but that was different but that was again it's it was the same thing sense of belonging sense of like you know i'm doing different i'm you know it, it's like a family we had a whole clique that that was doing these things right so it changes dynamics so thank you for that uh, i do have a question i'm going to put it on the screen um so i think it's relative to what we're discussing right now so yeah doctor okay so that's a, that's a really good question thank you for that why are mental health issues more common among the youth there's several reasons for that uh firstly um we are all finding our identity uh up until the age of about 25 or 30 uh it, it's just amazing to think that we think that we know who we are when we're 20 uh, when we don't. And so the brain is developing a lot and the mind is developing a lot. So I mean physically and I also mean emotionally. So I'll, I'll go through that a little bit. OK, there are some mental illnesses that are um, uh, poor wiring in the brain. OK, uh, but there are other mental illnesses that have to do with how we react to the world. And uh, older people experienced a world that was more cohesive. So in other words, uh, their family had a much more of an impact on how they thought. The whole society actually thought more together, whereas now there is a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of different ideas going around and there's more information. And that's all good. But how do you decide what is good information? And how do you decide what is the right information? And that all feeds into one really difficult question. How am I supposed to live? And so older people had answers to that question because everybody had a cohesive idea of what life was all about. Whereas now, younger and younger people 
have to try to answer this question, what is life about and how am I supposed to live, to try to do that by themselves. And that is really difficult. The other thing, and I hate to say it, but uh, because social media gets into people a lot earlier now, that means you get bombarded with a whole lot of different ideas that you otherwise would not have had. Um, and uh, older people would have found that they only really got into contact with different ideas, different ideas of how to lead life when they went to college. So when they were about 18, when they were almost fully formed as people, they came into contact with ideas that they thought, oh, maybe the way that I uh, lead life is not right. Maybe there's other ways of doing it. Whereas people are getting those ideas of how to lead life when they're 12, 10, 8, and sometimes 6. So the young brain is not developed enough to have a center to know this is who I am, this is how I believe life should be done, and then you react against other ideas. And here's how we, we react. You see, if you go off to college for the first time at 18, you'll come across some ideas and you'll go, no, nah, that's not for me. I won't do that. Oh, that's an interesting idea. I might try that. But if you're getting these ideas before you are 10 or 12, you have no basis on which to make those judgments because we know that the brain changes somewhere around the age of 12 from a childhood brain, which just takes in information, to an adult brain, which is actually very critical, which says, I will let this information in or I won't let this information in. And so older people have that intact. Younger people are being challenged a lot more. And unfortunately, we have the studies to show, for example, that a teenager in the 80s, 1980s, was more anxious than a child in the 1950s who was taken to see a psychiatrist. So this is not the fault of people. This is the way our society has developed. And we do not yet have the moral tools to cope with all the, well, actually wonderful experiences that life is putting to us, but we have to know how to cope with those so we don't get anxiety, depression, or addictions. Now, that's a huge answer in a nutshell, and it opens up a lot of things that I may have to spend the rest of the time talking about practical ways of how we can do that, Hurricane. I'll see how you want to take it. But that's basically the answer to the question, why are younger people more prone to mental health issues than older? We have a few minutes. I mean, if we can just give a couple of tips because I do have a comment and also another question that's almost related to the same. So, um, yeah, I mean, doctor, is your pace. So you, you tell me. <laughs> okay, good. Okay, so the one thing that I will bring people back to is to know what their values are. Okay. And how do you know your values? Uh, the quickest way to find out your values is to say, if I had to die in six months' time, what would become important to me all of a sudden, right? So that's where family, friends, or something that I want to express myself in becomes important. And a whole lot of other stuff, like uh, shopping for the best clothing, all of a sudden doesn't become that important, right? But we don't ask ourselves that question. So I'm going to give you a little acronym. Uh, to find out your values, be armed. 
A-R-M-E-D. A, what do I admire in myself and others? R, what do I believe is the right thing to do? Now, a lot of people are guided in that by a family religion or things that they believe, and that's good. It's part of your values, but nobody can tell you what your values are. You have to decide that for yourself. So R is what do I believe is the right thing to do? The M is what motivates me to do well? What's going to drive me forward in my life? The E is when do I feel full of self-esteem? When do I feel good about myself? Because if you do things that you feel bad about, that's only going to make you feel more despaired and you'll work more towards having to get instant pleasures rather than delayed gratification and feel good about yourself. And the D is actually if I had to die in six months, what would become more important to me? And so if people know what their top 20 values are and make sure that the pleasure that you have doesn't get in the way of what's really important to you in life, then, we, then you'll have the pleasure and the purpose and you've got a winning combination for your brain. Your brain will love you. Doctor, I think that's so powerful. I mean, listen to you. I mean, this this whole acronym armed. I mean, it, it's like you, you don't think about it, but as you broke it down, it just makes a whole different sense, you know, to to all of us. And I think I don't know if people highlight that enough or know to utilize that. I think today, I mean, this is going to be a cue to a lot of people, and hopefully, we're going to promote some of this message across the network just to keep you know people into it so they can absorb this and and maybe apply it in their life. Which oh, hurricane, that'd change. be great. That'd be really good because you know what? It's not cool to know what your values. It's not cool to sit down and think about your values, right? But you need your values on the Saturday night when you're out with your friends and you're living a bit more on the edge. You got to know, is this what I really want? Okay. And sometimes the answer will be yes. And sometimes the answer will be no. Uh, and you will limit your pleasure. So it doesn't do you any harm. Because the bizarre thing is there are a lot of people there who want a lot of pleasure and to enjoy life, and they're actually harming themselves in the process. If you go for pleasure, you end up in pain. So there's got to be something more to go for. Thank you, Doc. So, so uh, you know, uh, when you said you made that comment uh, about the uh, the 25, like where we find our true identity, I mean, we had uh, Raquel, you know, comment here. Which yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I literally had the same thing. I mean, that's a wow i mean that's 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 half of most of you know i mean i would say not most but at least one third of our lives if we've lived you know to 90 oh, so exactly. that's a, that's that's a lot of time to actually even find the identity and 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 and, and just be you a true you uh, yeah uh, it is amazing i mean to just to, to to hear you say that it's it's just wow <laughs> okay and for raquel i'll actually explain why i chose 25 to 30 uh because that's when the frontal lobe so the front part of your brain is fully developed, okay? Now your brain changes through your whole life, but it develops and the importance of that is it's the front part of your brain that does the rational thinking. It's the inside of your brain, the limbic system that does the feeling. And for mental health, you wanna match them up. You wanna think about what you feel and that way you will be able to decide whether something is good for you or not. Uh, because it feels good to feel but that can lead you into trouble. Whereas if you think about how you feel, then you can have the good feelings and your life on track at the same time. So thank, thank you, Raquel. 
and thank you, Doc. You know, uh, uh, one thing that just just came to my mind. I mean, yeah. now if someone does does the upbringing and the original, you know, I guess whatever foundation you get, yeah, uh, maybe expedite that process because yes. in in old days, or at least you know, I mean, again, uh, and personally, I I felt that back in the days I was more surrounded with maybe elderly and uh, more yeah. mature people, so I kind of absorb some of that, and you know, I, for example. It depends on the entourage. If you're really just, you know, with folks that have less to offer uh, in terms of maturity, then you're probably going to have a longer time to actually discover your own identity as opposed to the other way where you get, you know, is there is there a, a relation to that? Is there a connection there's, with? There's a huge relationship and parenting is very, very important. And so the art of being parents that provide a safe, secure, loving home is very, very important. Uh, however, I, I want to let people know that if you haven't had that, that doesn't mean that your life is ruined, all right? Uh, there was one particular psychiatrist, his name was Eric Erickson, and he chose his own name, Erickson, because he decided that he brought himself up. He said, my parents, they didn't do a great job. I've got to bring myself up. And he, he worked all this out in his early 20s, and he decided this is what he needed to grow up. That's why he called himself Eric, son of myself, Eric Erickson, right? But this is why I encourage people to be the parents that they can be. And you don't have to do too much. You just have to keep people safe, secure, and provide the love. That's all that it takes. And if you've got that going, then your child will actually grow to be somebody who is able to think and feel with an identity that they can be secure in. Because you need that because sometimes the world does some very strange things and so we need a center so that we can make decisions that's good for us. Thank you, Doctor. And and we do have, I know we're coming up to to almost you know a few minutes of the show, but I do have an additional uh, inter interactive question here that came on. So I'm gonna put it on the screen from Eric. Okay, so how can parents support their children's mental health? And do you think that social media restrictions from parents are a good or a bad thing? Okay, so the short answer is um, parents can support their children's mental health and putting restrictions is actually a good thing because parenting is a real skill. Um, when a child is one year old, that baby is totally dependent on you. But the, by the time they get to be about 18 or 20, you want them independent of you. So you've got to have this slow move of responsibility from the parent to the child. Uh, so social media, the United Nations, tells us that no child should watch social media at all under the age of one, okay? And the United Nations tells us that any child under the age of five should not have more than one hour of social media exposure in a year. So what that tells us is that too much social media exposure is a problem. And the thing is to negotiate, to work together, to sort of say, this is what we do in our family. We're doing this because we love you and we want you to have the skills to negotiate a world that is wonderful, but can be a bit weird sometimes as well. So uh, yeah, Hurricane on YouTube, I've put out a, uh, a clip on, the, on social media and how to control that in your life. And I, I give tips there on how people can do that because it's really important. 
But parenting, we're finding out scientifically, is probably the most important way that we can get people's mental health back on track. Because I got to tell you, love feels good. To be loved by parents, even if they're harsh, even if they're permissive, even if they stuff up because I don't know of any parents that are perfect, they still love you, all right? Okay? And that's what feels good. That's what makes life worthwhile. So parents, give your children the love. Children, when you're getting disciplined, know that it's being done in love. I understand not always, but most of the time it is. So, yes, parents can influence children's mental health. Well, thank you. Um, hold on. I think there's a follow-up. Uh, give me a second. You're interactive, so. Okay. So, if I don't allow my kids on social media, says says Eric, uh, they may fall behind the rest of society. Okay. That's a very good comment. So, uh, we tend to think in terms of all or nothing, whereas we actually know that social media is not all or nothing. Um, okay, let me talk about my social media use, okay? I can have the laptop open, and for a lot of the time, it's work. I've got to be connected to know about the latest ideas in psychiatry. Other times, I goof off. I take time just to enjoy some of myself, and I know the difference. And the thing is that it's a real skill to be able to know the difference between when you need the information, how to discern what's good information, and then when you're there for entertainment, and then when the entertainment actually is not in your own best interests. So rather than saying an all or nothing, it's more teaching the skills of knowing that you will need some of this for work, you'll need some of this for information, you will need some of this for good communication with your friends, and you've got to be careful of this area where not only is it not good um, interactions with your friends, but you may actually have some interactions that will harm you with people who don't care for you, but actually want to harm you. So there's all a range. And so as children grow, they need to be able to have these skills. And people, by the time they're in their 30s, they've got the skills. They know what sites to stay away from. They know when they're wasting their time. They know when it's Friday night and I just want to have a good time. So I will let myself go. But they'll also know that if they do the same thing on Monday at work that they do on Friday nights uh, near midnight, that they'll lose their job. All right. So that's not a good idea. And they're skills that we can actually teach our children. Thank you, Eric. What what one come back from Eric, and uh, you know we'll 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 close the show with that one. So uh, okay, is there a specific aspect of the social media that you think is worst for mental health? Uh, yes, uh, is that Laura? Is it okay? So yeah, so cyberbullying is unfortunately the worst for mental health, and uh, for the first time ever, suicides in females is starting to rise, and particularly in female teenagers. And it's because of cyberbullying. It's because of the power of what we started off with right at the beginning of this show, the power of the need to belong. We all have a need to belong. We all want people to accept and understand us just as we are. And when that becomes an online community rather than face-to-face, -face, then there are people who can start hurting you anonymously. And that starts to really great at our mental health. 
So if you know anybody who becomes a victim of cyberbullying, take them aside, take them off the social media, get them to see real family and friends in the flesh to enjoy people together over meals, over silly games, over ch just chilling out uh, because people tend to take care of each other when it's face to face. But when it's anonymous and over the internet, gosh, can some people be brutal. So unfortunately, the most, uh, the worst thing for mental health is cyberbullying and anonymity. Whereas people that you know are friends and sharing as friends, that has to be good for you. Thank you for your question, Laura. Well, doctor, thank you so much. And I would, I want to, I want to, you know, I mean, we've, we've at the top of the hour here. So, uh, you know, it's been, it's been a quick hour. I have to say <laughs> we had to cram oh, in a yeah. lot of good stuff. We just went by so fast. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, so, so definitely we're going to, you know, continue this discussion probably. And we have a whole series of questions and, uh, you know, for the next one, which will be, I think the last one for the season, uh, for this year. So, yeah. uh, you know, uh, you have, you have everybody that's uh, participating to this. I want to thank everybody that, that sent questions, Derek, Eric, Laura, Raquel, uh, and participate with us. You know, thank you so much for being with us and, and for really, you know, sending some powerful stuff. Um, uh, you know, I, uh, you know, uh, I don't know what to say, but I just, I'm, I'm so proud and happy of, of, you know, all the stuff that we're doing here in terms of, you know, helping hopefully, you know, a few people to get, you know, some answers and maybe help them deal with things in life. I mean, cause it's, it's crazy, man, uh, how things are. And again, I'm a parent, I'm going through things myself. So I, I, I resolve yeah. this, I try to apply some of it. Uh, but, but I want to thank you, doctor, as always, you know, the work you do is just phenomenal and, you know, uh, God bless you man, for, for doing this, you know, and, uh, continuously, you know, around the world. So. Well, Hurricane, uh, we will see you in a month and we'll see how Australia and the USA do in the World Cup, all right? Well, yeah, imagine they, they wound up at the, the, the final game together. That would be an interesting Whoa, <laughs> that would be a very interesting game. Okay. Uh, <laughs> hey, listen, wishful thinking, right? You never know. Everything is possible, right? <laughs> it's all possible. Okay. All right, everybody. Thank you so much, Doctor. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you, Hurricane. We'll be talking soon. Yep. All the very Take best. Care. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.